This is Space Waffles, a Star Wars podcast. Welcome to Space Waffles. I am your host, Arzu, and with me today is a very dear friend of mine, Katrina. Hello. Thanks for having me, Arzu. I'm so excited you're here. I'm so excited that you picked this to talk about because I can't think of anybody. (laughs) More perfect to talk about Battle for Endor, part three of our Ewok series. Mm-hmm. This is it's this is a very special movie to me for very many reasons. So I'm I'm so excited to to get into it. So before before we get into it, because I do want to get into why this movie is so special for you, a brief plot synopsis for those mm-hmm. who haven't seen it in a while or haven't seen it at all. So this is an Emmy Award winning television film about mm-hmm. as it is a sequel to Caravan of Courage. And it is about Wicket, our Ewok, and Sindel, the adorable angel child from Caravan of Courage, <laughs> uh, who suffers some truly horrific things in the first five minutes where she loses her entire family in yeah. one go. And it's just nonstop chaos from there, where they end up on the run, and there's a dinosaur, and they eventually find their way to a hermit in the woods named Noah. And they're just like, this is our life now. We're going to hang out with Noah. Meanwhile, we have what I was calling the not Nile, but I think they're called the Marauders. Um, mm-hmm. The Marauders on Endor who are after a power source that they don't fully understand and they don't know how it works. And it turns out it's the power cells for a star cruiser. And they have a witch helping them to acquire these power crystals, which Mm -hmm. it just so happens that our good friend Noah (laughs) might know a thing or two about. And that's where the plot converges. So I'm sure we're going to get into all this a lot more, but Katrina, what is it about this movie that is so special to you? I, okay. I love this movie because it is the very first introduction of the, uh, the concept of the Night Sisters through Chiral. Um, and I also love this movie because I think it's just, it's a, a very good Star Wars story that has absolutely nothing to do with the Force, if you really think about it. Um, and I just really love, I love chaos in my Star Wars at all times, as much as possible. And this movie just, mm, chef's kiss with the chaos. Like a hundred percent. Like I think there were several plot beats, you know, when they end up missing in the woods and then they find Noah and then Mm -hmm. the thing with the power cell and then the thing with Noah's backstory and how he's crash landed here. And there were so many plot points where I'm like this on its own. I feel like if this was the first movie, this would have been the whole movie. Yeah. But it just keeps building and building and building, which I loved. Yeah, I think it's just, it's one of those, I mean, nothing about this movie, I think, if you, you know, if you've watched the last one, which we both have, and then you compare it to this movie, it was just entire, entirely unexpected, I would say. Um, a lot of the events of this movie, you know, um, and a lot of the choices made in the story, and I, I liked it. It felt very fresh for a Star Wars story. Um, yeah. I I absolutely agree. They... You know, it would have been very easy to fall into the formula of telling the same story as the first movie. And they don't do that. Like, like I said, like Sindel loses her entire family. Like two of them blow up in the <laughs> yeah. first five minutes. Yeah. And that, it, that was wild to see like 
Mace, who we like spent so much time with in that first movie, just go. But I like in my notes, I'm like, mom is dead? Question mark. And then like three bullet points down. I'm like, Mace is dead. Like yeah. it just it clicks for me that oh my god, they actually they actually killed him. Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. this was like, oh no, he's dead, and then he's gonna pop up like five minutes from now. But like, yeah. no, he is gone. Yeah, he is super gone. It's it's just Sindel now, and and thank goodness the Ewoks are there because oh man, like what what a a horrible thing to fall in. What a dumb situation to fall into first and foremost because it was basically just these Marauders thinking that a power cell was a magical item, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But like. Can you believe your entire family gets like slaughtered because like some dudes mistake something because thinking it's like some some force object or something? What is Star Wars if not villains completely overreacting over a very small thing? <laughs> yes, exactly. And I like I loved the the mask for like the main villain of this movie whose name like completely Tarek, I I think yeah. or yeah, um his yeah, he, his mask reminds me of like this weird combination of like Swamp Thing and like the Night King from Game of Thrones and like the like concept art for Chewbacca that eventually became Zeb. And I just I I love what they put together for this film on like the budget that it had. Abs- like absolutely. First thing I thought when when you get to like the village and. Mm-hmm. You know, you see all of these masked villains, like me in full High Republic mode. I'm like, is this where it came from? <laughs> and I was, I had a moment. I love things like that where you could see like little sprinklings of of inspiration from like times before. So you know, I mean, but masked marauding villains have kind of been a staple of Star Wars forever, which is why I think I was so excited for the Nile. Because, like, that finally they have their own faction and they're not just, like, you know, delegated to, like, the bounty hunter faction. (laughs) It's, like, a whole new new breed of thing. Yeah. Now you can be a a Jedi, a Sith, uh, uh, a bounty hunter, or a Nile. (laughs) (laughs) Which, yes. All about the Nile here, at least me. Absolutely. Fully supportive of the Nile, you know? Yeah. I'm like, I'm down, you know, they're, they, they, I agree. (laughs) Speaking of a whole new thing that you can be, you mentioned it earlier that this is the first appearance we get of the Night Sisters. Yes. Yeah. Another thing you can be. And that, yeah, you can certainly be a Night Sister. And I think this is really, it's, it's fun to think about Sheryl in this movie and how they're, they're kind of slowly and hopefully, but surely uh, broadening the Night Sister lore in like current canon because now we know for for a fact that there are more sorts of night sisters than like Talzin's clan and they there are night sisters who work differently and like don't work with the force or this or that and so it kind of like it oh it does open up like a a, a a sort of space for like Sheryl to have grown from as a character yeah which I, I also in, in in world <laughs> One thing I do appreciate, and like if I miss this completely, then I will cut this out. But one thing I do appreciate is unlike the end of Asajj Ventress's arc, mm-hmm. when Shell turns around and helps the good guys, she doesn't die for it in the end. 
Yeah, she like gets away. Yeah, she so she does get away. I'm like, I think I'm mixing this up with live action Mulan, where the witch turns at the last second and then gets shot. But okay, <laughs> I mean, I didn't see. Maybe maybe someone can correct me if she actually did die. But I saw that crow fly away. Yeah, that's so. what I saw. And I'm like, <laughs> let me just make sure that I got this right. That she does in fact walk away from this. I'm like, yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Good. And it's like it, uh, the the thing about Cheryl that I I really enjoy, and you know, you can read about her in Legends. She had like her own little side stories and stuff. But like, I love that, you know, her perspective change was like, it's so subtle, but so dead on every moment it needs to happen. Mm -hmm. I thought it was a a really good, and like, we didn't have to get into like her deep emotions for her to have made that choice. Like her, her, at the end of the day, her resolution was like, this guy kind of screwed me over. You know what I'm going to (laughs) do? I'm going to screw him over back. So I, I don't necessarily see it as like her going like, I'm going to help these small children. I'm going to be, you know, the hero of the story. It's more like I'm a crow right now and I'm really upset about what's going on. And I have an open shot to like completely ruin this man. So right, like, do it. <laughs> like she, her interest was less like, let me help the children and more like, you know what? You have, <laughs> you have used my skills just once too many without giving me my due. And I have had enough. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I just, I loved, I loved her. I had her actress's name up. Uh, oh, I did ago. too. She was in, I remember saying she was in Dune and I was really excited about that. <laughs> All right. She was played by Cyan Phillips. Sean? Sean? I'm good with Sean. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but Sherelle, I think, is a, a really interesting character because when she was like created, um, her her like designs and her concept art kind of echo out into what we see in Mother Talzin and in some of like the zombie uh night sisters as well. Um yeah. and I yeah. No, I just that's like now that you're saying it, I'm thinking the cloak is very Mother Talzin. Oh yeah, the cloak, her coloring, like she is, you know, you know, she there isn't any extra makeup added, but she's, you know, pale, she has those really high cheekbones. She was, you know, chosen, I think, because she represents like those echoes of what night sisters and what space witches would be. I also just generally appreciate like we have a witch, we have a castle, we have a treasure. Mm-hmm. Like I just appreciate how fantasy this feels and i know star wars always walks that line of sci-fi fantasy space opera like nobody quite knows where to put it Mm -hmm. but this firmly feels like fantasy yeah which i really appreciate i really appreciate seeing uh other terrains on endor okay yes (laughs) that's rare in a star wars uh planet like we don't really get to travel around and see different types of land so like seeing that like you know, very old English terrain with the castle and stuff. It was like, oh, wow, this is, this is also Endor. This Okay, cool. <laughs> I actually put in my notes, I'm like, I appreciate that for once in Star Wars, one planet, like a planet is not confined to one people in one settlement. Like for once. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. I love that. And just to like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm like super obsessed with Night Sisters, if anyone knows me, you know me. But um, one more thing that's worth noting about Chiral is that she wasn't made a Night Sister until about 1995, but her legacy kind of echoes into uh, the Clone Wars because at one point 
I, I can't remember exactly where it is, but Mother Talzin mentions that uh, there is a talisman that one of their sisters has not returned with. Um, and, and it's like alluded to that it's the talisman of the raven, which is being used in this movie. Okay, so since you mentioned that, <laughs> when Tori and I were talking about Caravan of Courage, mm-hmm. we were wondering sort of when it was set. And our question was, is this pre or post- Return of the Jedi. Like, that was our question. Mm-hmm. And according to Wikipedia, this duology is 150 years after the sequel trilogy, which doesn't line up with Legends at all. Yeah. It's really, like, it's really weird. A little, but <laughs> is that like what's, what's determined now? Like, is that the placement now? Maybe. Maybe yeah. that's just, you know, up- updated canon. Yeah, because I remember doing my research and it was like, it was kind of all over the place with the timing of this. And like, I don't, I don't know whether it's like during, directly after, or like several hundreds of years in the future. Um, but yeah, I like. Which is positively wild to think about. Yeah, it is. Oh man, I love the idea of like, the reason I love the High Republic is because it's a hundred years in the, or however many hundreds of years in the past, right? And yeah. Uh, and um, I like the idea of seeing echoes in in the Star Wars saga. So the concept of like 300 years in the future is very attractive to me. Uh, not to get too like bogged down on legends, but I really like the Star Wars legacy comics that feature uh, Cade Skywalker and especially Anya Solo. Because like, you know, no offense to Cade, he's all right. He just doesn't look like he showers. But Anya <laughs> is like, she was like, this uh incredible you know she was a scavenger she was a descendant of like the skywalker solo family she paced extremely close to ray which i was very excited about when we first met ray i was like oh my god she's like anya (laughs) so uh so it's i i love that concept of like oh is this movie like hundreds of years in the future and what's changed about the galaxy between you know when we were in the sequel trilogy versus where we are now so yeah, sorry, tangent. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's what, well. Granted, when we were talking about it, we're like, what impact did it have that they named their child after Mace Windu, and that was what we were wondering. Mm-hmm. But no, but like I am fascinated by the idea that you know the galaxy has hit a certain point where maybe the Ewoks are like, okay, that was kind of dramatic, and we're not gonna we're not gonna <laughs> engage with this. They came here <laughs> once, and that didn't work for us. So let's just <laughs> let's just stay the way we are. Can we talk about how murderous the murder bears are in this movie? I'm okay. so I'm so proud of them. I'm like really afraid of them, but I'm really proud of them too. So like tr- truly <laughs> these bears are murderous. They are innovative. Like Wicket's telling Sindel, like, just sit down and chill. Meanwhile, he's building a hang glider from scratch. I'm like, okay. Seriously. So- <laughs> Yeah, like it. It was it was great to see the Ewoks. It, I mean, you know, I I wouldn't want to be the person on the other end of the Ewoks in battle, but it was good to see the Ewoks in battle again because they just do this thing where like they they'll like straight up murder someone and then they'll turn around and be like yay and they'll like high five and like hug and stuff and then like run off to murder the next guy. The deceptive thing about Ewoks is is truly how cute they are. Like Wicket with his little like, don't worry, Sindel, meanwhile, like about to commit murder, but right. <laughs> I I love 
love them. I just, they're, they're just perfect. And I, I support whatever they want to do, you know? I will say at the, right at the end when they are charging into battle with the Marauders, mm-hmm. with some big like Lord of the Rings energy. Maybe this yes. is just me. But yeah, no, no, I absolutely read that. Like, you know, going back to your note about it being like very fantasy, it did remind me of like, you know, even like old school, like 1980s medieval movies and stuff like, uh, like large scale fields that like, you know, are just like, you know, in this case, probably in California, but like, over in England, where like they've, or Britain, wherever, Scotland, wherever they film castle battles everywhere. <laughs> where they have one castle and a big field. <laughs> that one castle that like faces the large, huge, like hilly battlefield. Yeah, there, that yeah, place. That place. And it was, it was nice to kind of, like I said, be transported into a part of Star Wars that like, even like location wise, we don't get like a second location on E on, on, on Endor. And like, it's so, it's so different from what we're used to. And like, it reminds me of like, I expect knights to come like storming out of that castle. Well, I mean, the, the Marauders did have, you know, swords mm-hmm. and chainmail and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And I, I thought those were all masks until I realized that they were masks over their very scary faces, but <laughs> like cool and then i'm like no that's just what you look like okay right and you know what you'd think that like if you if you were a marauder who lived in a castle you'd be like prepared for catapults just going back to like that style of battle you would be prepared for catapults because that is like not only like the most conventional weapon in these large-scale battles in medieval um uh fight scenes but also something that ewoks are known for but you know They clearly weren't ready for the Ewoks at all. They completely (laughs) underestimated the murder bears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that just shows the the versatility of the uh, Ewok species. And that is why, if this is hundreds of years in the future, why they're living comfortably there. But also, like, you're nothing and no one. Right. How long do Ewoks live? Because how old is Wicked by that time? You know, like, Wicked is ancient. Yeah, ancient. And, like, and Noah's calling him kid and stuff. <laughs> I love Noah, by the way. I thought he was uh, he was great. I thought he was great. It was just like I okay. I love uh, grumpy characters that like soften up, and for especially for like adorable animals and children. And so he just like fit that role so well. Like he was already a softie because of Teak. You could tell, but oh, Teak like, was so cute more teaks in star wars he's like zipped around little zoomy boy yeah i just i want i want i want like teaks to be in like galaxy's edge where like they the the animatronics move so fast that you don't see them actually moving and then they just pop up in another place and it's like oh look how fast he is little teaks (laughs) of the creature saw yes please i need i need a million teak dolls please i i loved him he was great but like, yeah, but like I, Noah, like, first of all, Noah felt like he was from a completely different movie, but <laughs> not in a bad way. It was just like, you know, the Ewoks and Sindel have their thing going on and the witches and the the witch and the marauders have their thing. And then like, Noah, I'm like, you look like you're somebody who needs to discover that he is Santa Claus and learn the meaning, meaning of Christmas. Like, that's what Noah felt like. To me. <laughs> but it was. He, I don't know why, but Noah's like. He would like randomly yell. Like he his yelling is probably my favorite part of him because it's just like he'll be talking to Sindel like normally one second and then like 
her or Wicket will like knock something over and suddenly he's yelling, but it's like, oh, grandpa's just like, you know, he's just excited. Like, it's not even a threatening yell. He just like ups the ante of his vocal range and it just works. I don't know how. He's been, he's been living alone for like 40 years. He's just forgotten how to modulate his volume. (laughs) And it's like, it's like Teak is there. Like the only person he's ever had to speak to for that long, the amount of time was, was the Teak. So yeah. Well, consider maybe when Teak knocks something over, if Teak just books it, then he has to yell so Teak can hear him. That is extremely true. Yeah. So that's why he does it. Exactly. It's okay. We love Noah volume control and all. (laughs) he was fun i really i loved it like i just i liked this the way this little weird little found family came together because uh, like you know to me that's one of the core core points of star wars is like finding your people and stuff Mm -hmm. um and just like it was it you know it it was uh, a natural i think um unfolding of like their relationships and connections to each other um, and I loved it. It was so cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just like this nice, cute, shiny thing against the backdrop of this otherwise strangely dark Star Wars movie. <laughs> that, that's what I mean. Is it? That's why it feels like two different movies. Like whenever Noah's around, it's like a wholesome finding your family thing. <laughs> and then otherwise we've got like the battle for Middle Earth raging outside. <laughs> Meanwhile, Santa Claus is learning not to be a curmudgeon. Like that's what this movie feels like. <laughs> And then when he, like, fights the villain, it's, like, the weirdest image. Because he's in, like, I don't know, fisherman's rain gear or something. Like, he just, I don't know why, but he puts on, like, shabbier and shabbier clothes until the very end of the movie when he, like, suddenly has a nice jacket. He doesn't want them to know he's got nice stuff. Exactly. You know what? He's smart. But it was just, it was so funny to, like, see him and his, like, big stick like trying to fight this like medieval swamp monster <laughs> that like was armored up and he's in his raincoat and it just it was great it was amazing one thing like when we were talking about the completely unintentional parallels to the high republic <laughs> one thing it made me think of was that whiteboard that they had in like the promo video and they were writing stuff on it and uh-huh. they wrote the word dinosaurs mm-hmm. there's a dinosaur in this movie there is a dinosaur in this movie. So are we, we were, bringing the dinosaurs back to Star Wars? Right? I, you know what? I want, uh, I want dinos back. I, I feel like space dinosaurs should absolutely be a thing because all planets develop at their own rate. So you could find a prehistoric planet and have some alien dinosaurs. I mean, this is clearly, you know, they've had centuries post, yeah. post all of this. For the dinosaurs to come back. Mm-hmm. I assume that's how it works. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, I loved, I loved like that, that whole scene. I loved all the weird creatures too in this movie. Like, Blurgs. We, uh, first appearance of Blurgs. The first appearance of Blurgs. And they, you know, th- then we see them, uh, you know, years and years later in The Mandalorian, modeled exactly the way they are in this film, albeit with, you know, better camera technology, but the ones in the Mandalorian um, are also largely uh, uh, claymation, like the ones in this one are. That's why the movement looks so familiar. Yeah, exactly. They wanted to keep that movement. Um, I think that's in, I can't remember exactly where I learned that, but I think that's in the 
the Mandalorian like behind the scenes special or something. Um, it was really important for them to like keep the types of movement that the blurbs used and stuff. So I thought that was like very cool. So one thing we mentioned um, when we were talking about Caravan of Courage, and unfortunately I find it true for this mm-hmm. as well, is Star Wars critics continue to do what Star Wars critics do best <laughs> and are just extremely joyless yep. about this movie. So I pulled another New York Times review. The New York Times really didn't like these movies. Um, so John Corey saying that It isn't that it's badly done. On the contrary, it's wonderfully well done. But when it's over, it's over and there is no residue. So first of all, we just proved that wrong because that all carries forward. But also, (laughs) it's one of those things where I don't quite know what it is. First of all, I don't know what it is he was expecting. Second of all, did he not notice that they measurably upped the ante and the budget and the action and everything from the first one? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I feel like the perspective that like, a lot of, you know, film reviewers, especially back then, uh, probably approached this as was like, you know, I expect like Star Wars. I expect the Force. I expect things that are interconnected and not just like, you know, Wicked is our only connection to the timeline. Um, but I, I, I love this movie because it just it stands on its own, and it's for I want to say like it's a movie that like is a little bit more for the grown up kids in Star Wars. You know the the stakes are higher and it's it's depressing and it's a lot more dangerous. And there's a lot of things that like as a Star Wars nerd, you can pull from this movie and create like a line to your favorite thing in another piece of canon. And I just think it's really special. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars fans are just, I, you know, I love my friends and I love our, our groups and stuff. And I generally adore Star Wars fandom, but I just feel like, like we, like fans just get a little angry when something's not for them because so much of Star Wars is for everyone, you know? Yeah. And, and that like, it like faults the judgment of like how enjoyable a movie, a movie is. Cause like you're, you approach it with like, expectations ahead of time you know yeah oh like a hundred percent and i found this more with with um caravan of courage they had a lot more to say Mm -hmm. about that but sort of this whole well it's for kids and what are mom and dad supposed to do i'm like mom and dad are supposed to realize that this is for kids yeah exactly (laughs) there are there are like at this point i feel like legends was already coming out yeah like so there is that if you want it but this well, is, this is wanted, a yeah, fantasy movie companion. for kids. Exactly. Like mom and dad can read the companion novels for the for for themselves, but like, you know, what are mom and dad supposed to do? Every mom and dad I know will take their kid to children's movies, whether they like it or not. And that's that's why I like them so much. So. And half the moms and dads will enjoy it anyway, because it's exactly. like a fun way to spend 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like there's a part of like criticism that just destroys your joy after a really long time. And, you know, sometimes we got to just step out of it and have a little fun. Watch some droids. That's what I like to do. I like to just flip on droids and listen to that uh, that theme song. There you go. <laughs> That's the one I have, as of recording, have not seen yet. Oh, it is. It is fun. You'll, you'll, it's fun. You'll I'm, look, it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, really good theme song. So I have been asking this all throughout our Ewok series is I have heard people say that Ewoks is a good way 
to get your kids into Star Wars. If they are not like, if you want a, a different way to ease them into it, instead of just popping on a new hope that use the Ewoks as their, as their gateway. So where we've come down on it so far is that we would not recommend the cartoon unless your kids are very small, but we might recommend Caravan of Courage. So would you recommend these movies as a gateway into Star Wars? Mm, you know, I, I would, especially for kids, like these movies to me, even though our, you know, in the first one, our Caravan of Courage heroes were like four and 14 and then Sindel's what four or five in this one. I feel like these are great movies for like the seven to 10 demographic, especially because they're, they're a little more dangerous, but they're still like really kid friendly. And the story comes through very clearly. There you go. I like mm-hmm. that. I like it. Like I didn't see these as a child, but I feel like if I was a child watching it, I probably would have enjoyed it. I liked the Ewoks yeah. when I was little. Yeah, like I put this on in front of my nieces if like if I was babysitting them, you know. <laughs> All right. So do you have any final thoughts on uh, Battle for Endor? Mm, let's see. You know, honestly, I I wouldn't hate uh more stories about Sindo. Like I'd love to see her show up uh in a familiar capacity um Ooh. yeah in canon like it'd be great and i honestly uh something i was thinking about while i was watching uh Sindel in this movie is how much in in a way like not exactly but like in a way she does really remind me of uh of omega in the bad batch you know yes She's she's not very worldly. She's learning a lot of things, but you know, for a four year old, this kid's pretty capable. <laughs> like like she's aware enough to like go and run after her friends and like want to survive and do things. And like I I thought I sh- she, and also she's like adorable. And so she's is all heart so. too. Yeah, absolutely. Like she's all heart. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. But I loved. I was. I was. Uh, I'm a very big fan of this movie, and I continue to be a fan of this movie. And uh, and Sheral lives, and that's all I care about. <laughs> I love it. So, Katrina, where can people find you online? Well, you can find me anywhere if you search for. Oh, Katrina, that's O-H-C-A-T-R-I-N-A. You can also find me on the Geeky Waffle Network uh, creating my show, Fight Club, A Fight Club Far, Far Away, a show whose name I totally remembered just now. Uh, and <laughs> I also co-host Padro Pascal with my good friend Rachel Leishman, uh, where we talk about the filmography of Pedro Pascal. And I'm doing other stuff as well, but you can totally watch my Twitter because that's where I live, apparently. <laughs> as for us, you can find us on Twitter. That's where we mostly live at geeky underscore waffle. We are everywhere else. <laughs> Woohoo! It's just one big happy waffle family. Mm-hmm. Off of Twitter, we are the geeky waffle, and that's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We also have a Patreon where we post our waffles after dark exclusives. And my personal handle is at Arzu Amin. So thank you so much for listening. The Night Sisters are always right. And may the waffles Mm -hmm. be with you.